0: welcome to ironworks church we're so glad to have each and every one of you here with us Uh, for those of you that might not know my name is joshua olson i am the director of congregational care here at ironworks church Um, and if you are near here i would love to get to 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 meet you and to get to know you Um, so try to track me down after the service and i would love to to get to know you We are continuing our series uh, throughout the book of Romans, and uh, we have the the joy and privilege of looking at uh, chapter 13 in the book of Romans. And so uh, as Mark comes up, I would ask you to please stand in honor of God's word as we read it, and would you listen carefully as Mark reads from this book that we love?
1: morning I'll be reading Romans chapter 13 verses 7 through 14 from the Christian Standard Bible pay your obligations to everyone taxes to those you owe taxes tolls to those you owe tolls respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor Do not owe anyone anything except love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Mark.
0: All right, as we work our way through this passage, we're going to be looking at three different things. Uh, First, we're going to be looking at the debt that can't be paid. Then we're going to look at how love fulfills the law. And then we're going to look at what it means to put on Christ. Christ. So let's dig in. First, the debt that can't be paid. How many of you have some sort of debt? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Uh, What if I say, no matter what, even if you are independently wealthy and you have just gobs and gobs of money sitting, making more money, that you, every single one of you, are in debt and you will be in debt forever. There will never be a time when you are not in debt. You will never be able to climb your way out of it. No matter how much you deposit into the account, the account will never, ever be paid. It's Kind of disappointing, isn't it? Well, that is the truth. Um, the church father, Chrysostom, says it this way. Love is a debt also. Not however, like tribute or custom, which can be paid off, but a continuous one. For God does not wish it ever to be paid off, or rather he would have it always rendered, yet never fully so, but to be always owing. For this is the character of debt that one keeps giving and owing always. Love is the debt that we cannot pay. But what does it mean to be indebted to love one another. And how does this relate to fulfilling the law? Well, there's a few different ways we could look at it. Uh, First, we could look at it through the lens of the moral law. The moral law requires perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience. Perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience. Uh, And this, this is a burden that none of us Can fulfill. How many of you have uh, personally, perfectly, and perpetually obeyed every law in God's Word? Okay, good. No one here is self righteous. Uh, Just making sure, Paul, throughout this letter, has demonstrated that it is actually absolutely impossible for every single one of us to uphold the moral law in this way. And thankfully, he has also very persuasively shown that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law in this way. He is the only one who has perfectly, personally, and perpetually obeyed God's moral law. And Paul says that we are no longer under this burden. We now are under grace. And he uses this analogy of being married. We once were married to the law in all of its obligations. We were ob- obliged to the law. But now... We are married to Christ and we've been set free from the burden of this personal perfect and perpetual obedience um, theologians would call this the first use of the law it's where the law is a disciplinary it shows us just who we are inside it shows us how much we actually need Jesus and love in this sense is a debt that we cannot pay but it's also a burden that we cannot bear. Only Christ can bear this burden. And thank God, Christ has borne this burden for us. And he has given to each of us who believe in him a righteousness that is not our own. There is another way to look at the law and to relate to it, um, it is sometimes called the law of Christ. It is sometimes called the law of love. This is what the theologians would call the third use of the law or the normative use of the law. Basically, it tells us how to live life best, life that leads to flourishing and shalom or peace. It's not a guarantee or promise that if you do X, Y, and Z, you will automatically get this. But generally speaking, if you live your life In concordance to God's ways, your life will be one of flourishing. It will lead to flourishing. So how does this relate to love being a debt? What does it mean that the normative use of the law is a debt? Well, that's a good question. Um, When we receive God's grace and mercy... He not only forgives and absolves our debt but he also gives us immeasurable riches of grace and love. God is overly generous. He doesn't just cancel our debt, but he also gives us immeasurable riches of grace and love. And the command to love others shouldn't be seen as a tiresome obligation but rather a joyful mission. So, how can we think about this? can think about it in a couple of ways. One, you can have someone who has a cold transaction that takes place that puts them into debt. So I go um, to, this was the most boring debt I've ever incurred. I went to a car dealership. I went there. I said, listen, my wife is pregnant and we need, we need, <clears throat> we need a minivan. Um, and, and I was like, I, I, we need a minivan, and so we made this deal, and uh, the bank gave us some money so we could buy the minivan. And to the bank, I have to say, well, I owe you. I owe you. It's kind of a cold transaction. It was, was not glamorous. It was the most boring adult purchase uh, that I've ever made, um, so, but I did. I owed the bank the money for the minivan. Or it could be like this. Someone runs out in front of a car that's speeding down the road and Peter is sitting in the road and this person jumps out in front of the car and grabs Peter and runs back to the sidewalk. And I go up to that person and I'm like, thank you, I owe you everything. I owe you everything. You saved my son's life. See, one is a cold transaction. I owe you for the minivan. The other one is a joyful obligation. I am willingly putting myself in debt to this person because of what they have done for me. And the obligation of love is this type of joyful obligation, this joyful sense of debt. It's a sense of gratitude for the way that God has shown us his love. Here's another way to to kind of look at this idea of a joyful obligation. Imagine that um, somehow you have connections and you somehow become the custodian of Warren Buffett's wealth. And what has been charged to you is you are to use this money to benefit individuals and charities and organizations in need. Now it might be hard, no doubt, there will be some times when difficulties arise, but think about the joy, the purpose, and the fulfillment as you see these resources being distributed and benefiting those who need it most. So that's that's one hand, you're you're being generous with wealth, and then on the other hand, you can ask about any individual who has been wealthy from some time, and they will tell you that the greatest burden of wealth comes when we attempt to hoard riches for ourselves, not when we cheerfully share them with others. Uh, The scriptures illustrate this over and over again. Proverbs or some I'm, I'm sorry Psalm 37:21 The wicked borrows but does not pay back but the righteous is generous and gives freely Proverbs 14:21 Whoever despises his neighbor is a wicked sinner but happy and joyful is the one who is generous to the poor Proverbs 11.28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Again, you have this idea of flourishing because the person is actually doing what God has made them to do, to be generous. Uh, the, the, the preacher who wrote Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 4, eight. There is no end to a person's toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? And the preacher says, this is vanity and an unhappy business. This is, this is dumb. This is really, like, why would you do that? Why would you work so hard when you don't even know who you're going to be doing it for? And he also says this in Ecclesiastes 5:13, There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. How does this relate to the debt of love? Well, God has shown us and given us the immense riches of his love in Christ, and if we try to hoard that for ourselves, It will only end in our own hurt and our own destruction. True joy, true flourishing is when we share the love of Christ, the love that we have received from God with others. So Ironworks Church, this debt, this obligation of love, it's not a killjoy, but it is a joyful privilege that has been entrusted to us as those who have have been shown an incredible love by God, a joyful privilege that continues into eternity. We love each other imperfectly now, and we will still have the joyful obligation to love each other when Christ's kingdom is fully inaugurated and we are able to love perfectly. That debt will never be paid, and this is great news because when we love other people, we flourish and they flourish and God is pleased. So that is the debt that can't be paid. Secondly, we wanna look at how love fulfills the law. How does love fulfill the law? Paul goes on to say uh, that the law of love is the command that sums up the rest of the law. Um, he says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment is summed up like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But what does, it, what does that mean, and how does that mean that we've fulfilled the law? I thought that Jesus was the only one who could fulfill the law. How is it that we can fulfill the law? Well, Paul says, back in Romans chapter 8, he he kind of explains what this means for the believer to fulfill the law of God. He says this in in Romans 8 chapter 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, that we might fulfill the righteous requirement of the law because we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the righteous requirement of the law is something that's impossible for us to do perfectly Christ paid that Christ fulfilled the law he paid our debt and he's given us his righteousness but in another sense Christ has given us his very spirit the spirit of Christ dwells in each and every one of you who are in Christ and the spirit gives you strength and power and every resource that you need to be able to to love one another. The spirit of love of Christ is in you and sets you free that you might live in a different way than you lived before so that you fulfill the law, the righteous requirement of the law, not as a burden, but as a joyful obligations. And friends, you will succeed and you will fail, but the scriptures say that a righteous person falls seven times and rises up each time. So we can fail to love as long as we shake off the dirt, get back up, and try to love one another again. That is what it means to fulfill the law of love. When we fail to love our neighbor, we simply go to them and confess. I'm sorry that I failed to love you as I ought. We seek restitution. And when someone repents and asks for forgiveness, we love our neighbor by graciously extending forgiveness. This is how the law of love works in the body of Christ. That we constantly are repenting and forgiving and welcoming one another. Now, I do want to point out that there are some circumstances that require an immense process of repentance, of rebuilding of trust, when the offender has done something that has caused his neighbor extreme harm, extreme trauma. It may take time, a lot of time, perhaps all the way even until glory, to be able to work through those things. Sometimes a person harms someone so deeply and so profoundly that even when forgiveness is requested and granted, the relationship is strained in this life. This is unfortunate, but is the unfortunate reality of being in a broken world that is broken by sin. Now that being said, The Holy Spirit can work in people's lives and even the most egregious offense can be forgiven and a relationship can be restored. I know of a family where a couple got divorced after some infidelity, some confusion, however the offending party, after some difficult wrestling, some counseling and prayer, repented and slowly began to move back towards their former spouse. Eventually they began dating again and the innocent spouse responded in love with grace and mercy and forgiveness. They got reengaged and eventually remarried with their kids as the members of the wedding party. This, friends, is love. This is love in action and this couple, they're still together after 30 years of being remarried. They continually are indebted to love one another, and they are gratefully paying that debt to one another. Um, And the Holy Spirit is powerful, and Christ is powerful. He can bring back people who have been broken down by sin and separated by sin. This is what love does. This is what it means to fulfill the law of love. So third, we want to look at what it means to put on Christ. Paul's, sorry, Paul switches gears a little in verse 11 and begins to talk about the urgency of love. Uh, Paul uses two different metaphors here to help us understand just how urgent that it is that we start loving now. We don't wait till tomorrow, we begin now. And he uses the metaphor of dawn. He says the darkness of night is about to end. The light of day is fast approaching. There is an immediacy about the importance of beginning to love now. In fact, Paul uses uh, near or a word Uh, um, related to near three times in short succession to help us understand just how immediate and urgent the need for love is. Paul uses another metaphor. He kind of is weaving his metaphors together here. So there's this dawn. It's approaching. You can see the light beginning to emerge over the horizon. And then he says, listen, you need to get dressed. You need to get ready. Ready. You need to put on the right attire. You need to be properly clothed and armed for battle. So he says, you need to take off, take off the clothes or the deeds of darkness, and you need to put on the armor of light. So he's still pulling from this threads of, of, of light and dark. Put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And he continues this metaphor when he says, let us walk with decency as in the daytime. What it really, the idea behind it really is, is, listen, we need to walk as one properly attired for the work of day. We need to have our work clothes on. Listen, you cannot be walking around in the daytime in your lingerie or your pajamas or your boxers. You can sleep in those, but it's not proper attire for the daytime. You need to get your work clothes on. And Paul describes this inappropriate clothing as excessive drinking, as parties that lead to sexual inappropriate behavior or rape, a lack of self-constraint, which violates all bounds of what is socially acceptable. Rivalry, strife, discord, malice, or jealousy. These are all ways that we harm other people. We so, become self-centered, self-centric, and we hurt and harm other people. And he says, you need, to, you need to put off these deeds. You need to take these clothes off and remove them and put on the proper attire. Put on the armor of light. And then Paul goes on and says, listen, you need to put on Christ. Put on Christ. Take those deeds and throw them away. Put on Christ because the dawn is approaching. We need to love people now. So Paul says, listen, you need to put love on. Love is Christ. Christ is love. Put on Christ. Put on grace. Put on the one who is the reconciler. Put on the one who is the forgiver. Put on the one who is holy. Put on the one who is poised in face of difficulty. Put on the one who considers others more important than himself. Um, Paul, in his letter to the church of Colossae, um, kind of dives deeper into this understanding of what it means to put on Christ. He says it this way. He says, put on the new man. Who's the new man? Anyone? Who's the new man? It's Christ. Thank you. Whoever that was. Woo! Yeah, Levi, great. Put on the new man. Put on Christ, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, as ones who are holy and loved, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in harmony, put on Christ. Ironworks Church, you are loved by God. You have been chosen by God. You are holy in Christ. Do not do the things that drive you away from Christ and that hurt and demean others, but instead, move towards Jesus. Move towards others in love, just as Christ has loved you. So you ought to love one another. And so, Ironworks Church, as as we approach this table, we recognize that we're imperfect that we don't love perfectly, right? We often choose to hurt instead of heal. We often choose jealousy instead of generosity. We often choose to harbor resentment instead of offering forgiveness. We often choose pride instead of humility. We are imperfect but we are coming to the one who is perfect. We are coming to the one who loves you, the one who has forgiven you, the one who has healed your brokenness, and the one who empowers you to love like him. I encourage you to come to this table, taste the forgiveness of Christ, taste his love, and let it transform you so that you can then love others in this church, you can love your neighbors, you can love your coworkers, you can love your family. This is the source of power for you to love one another. It is Christ and his spirit. Would you come, let's pray. Gracious God, it is such a joyful privilege to be able to come here to this table and find mercy and grace. God, you have poured out your love and the riches of your love into each one of our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. We have tasted and seen that Christ is good. And so I pray, God, that that you would enable us to be strengthened by your spirit so that we might love one another god help us to run to jesus when we forget what it means to love that we might see love in his face that we might see love in every one of his deeds and we might be remembered or we might be reminded how to love one another god make us a church that is known by its love for one another Make us a church that is known for its love for Phoenixville and the community here. Make us a church that is like Jesus. I ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.